Hi, everybody. This is your host, Brian, for the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we meet with innovative and inspiring facilities leaders from across the country. In this episode, I chat with Julius Carter, who is the Director of Facilities at Issaquah School District. We cover the importance of utilizing data to drive decisions, and we also get into the murder and ice cream paradox. And if you don't know what that is, you're probably not alone, but please tune in and find out. Julius is an extremely smart competent leader, and I promise you will gain a lot from hearing from him. You definitely don't want to miss it. Let's dive in. Welcome, Julius. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, Just to kick things off, just give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Excited to be here. My background, I've been in operations and maintenance really my entire career. Started as an electrical engineer and got recruited by my, my operations manager, Uh, when I worked at a a coal-fired power plant way back when in 2002 to come join the operations team and um, didn't look back to my engineering days after that. Just really liked working with people primarily, being part of a team and getting to figure out problems on why things work and don't work and how to repair them the best we can. And so, yeah, I'd never looked back from there. So power generation and then uh, fossil fuels and then uh, renewable energy. So right before I started with the school district, I was working with wind turbines, uh, utility grade wind turbines across the country, spent a lot of time in Texas and Iowa and California, obviously where where a lot of them are and um, got to travel, um, see the country, got tired of traveling and um, originally from the Pacific Northwest. So wanted to come back here and found my way just outside of Seattle here at the Issaquah School District and had the opportunity to join the uh, operations and maintenance team here as a director of uh, facility services. We're really focused right now on improving our preventative maintenance, potentially our predictive maintenance, if if I dare say that word, <laughs> and uh, really using trying to use data to drive our decision-making process and figure out where we need to spend the money and where it's going to make the biggest impact based on the data that we're seeing. Awesome. Well, thank you for that background, Julius. One question I'd like to ask, obviously starting on the coal power plant side, commercial segment, very technical, and eventually making it into public education. Were there any surprises or major adjustments you had to make to fit into the public education world after being in the commercial world? Yeah, I think I think the biggest adjustment, I would say the bureaucracy um, involved on the public side, one of the adjustments is learning how to adjust my communication style so that I can I can convince educators that their buildings are just as important to the students' learning ability as the teaching styles that their teachers are using and how they interact with uh, students. So that's been the biggest adjustment for me um, is trying to figure out the best way to communicate with folks that really don't have a technical background and don't understand why HVAC systems or electrical systems or plumbing systems are important or impact students. Yeah, I think it's so easy to take those things for granted, right? Like if the environment is conducive to learning, nobody notices. If it isn't, they notice sometimes. And I think it's just easy to take that for granted. So that's interesting that, you know, that's one of the challenges that you're facing. Because one of the things we've seen too is when it comes to funding decisions and things like that, 
obviously the focus is on students, like it, as it always should be. But sometimes the funding decisions go the way of curriculum and other things when, when really it could be a bigger impact to throw that funding towards building improvements and better controls and, and that sort of thing. So it's really interesting. So you, you kind of touched on, you know, you're an electrical engineer by education. You're also looking at data uh, analysis for making decisions. Maybe just speak a little bit about, you know, how do you utilize data to do your job in the, in the school district? Yeah. On any given day right now, I, I'd say I'm pulling, I have a lot of data streams coming into me to try to try to analyze uh, where we need to prioritize our work and our and our direction, whether it's our work order management system, we're getting a lot of great data having just transitioned over to FMX and being able to drill down into individual schools and seeing where the majority of those work requests are coming from. So if we have a light, we may have a systemic lighting problem at one of our high schools. You know, it's really easy to see that spring up in the in the data because all of a sudden we're getting lots of, hey, my lights don't work, hey, my lights don't work, hey, my lights, I can't turn them on, or there's something wrong with the ballast. That allows us from a preventative and kind of predictive side to say, hey, maybe we need to spend a little more effort, whether it's engaging with a, a lighting control system expert or or just looking at the control system in general to see if there's something larger going on in the background that will prevent the number of lighting issues that the staff is dealing with in any given day. And in my role, so I'm getting data from uh, the maintenance department. It's probably the biggest piece, but also on the custodial side, we use data to kind of drive where help is needed to clean and, and disinfect areas. And that can be anything from a custodial inspection from one of our supervisors or lead custodians to we've even, even started looking at absence reports of students to see if we can pick up on any trends and compare that to our custodial inspections to see if it's impacting absence rates at all and to see if we can correlate anything there. It's still a work in progress on that one. We haven't seen anything that's uh, necessarily a big correlation, but you know, it kind of helps us understand where we can send extra custodians if we need to take people away from their spots and, and move them to somewhere where we're going to see more value in any given day. It's also you know, a new culture for the school district to try and make data-driven decisions. I think a lot of people like to make decisions based on their gut instincts and um, how they're feeling on any given day. So trying to get away from that and, and make an objective call versus a subjective call is, is also uh, interesting. Yeah, that's huge, right? I mean, it certainly as a leader, they trust their gut instinct from time to time. And it's not a bad thing to have a gut instinct, but often it can lead us astray. And you know, I really like what you mentioned about using objective data versus subjective feelings and in, in your gut. If you think about your career, whether it's you know at the school district or before that, can you think of a time where your gut told you one thing, but the data told you something else? Can you share an example of that? Yeah, I think a really good example is just with absence data. Uh, we, you know, in dealing in our current environment, I know it's been really hard to to find workers in general. And then we also see a lot of workers 
being absent from work. Um, for me, I really started noticing a trend when we were first getting into the COVID pandemic. And it really, instead of like transitioning back to how it was before the pandemic has really just stayed with us. Like people don't come to work if they're sick. You know, when I, when I grew up, um, I, I was told to tough it out um, and get your butt to work. Same so, here. Yeah, unless you're nearly on death's <laughs> door, right? You, yeah. But now we're really seeing, you know, if someone's not feeling quite right, maybe has a minor cold or or whatever, they will stay home. And that's that was really kind of, you know, I hate to say it, beaten into them during the pandemic. It's like, don't come to work if you're sick. And we're seeing that stay with us now after the pandemic is over. So one of the pieces in the data was, you know, I think as as managers and supervisors, there is this unfortunate tendency to think the worst of what's actually going on. I won't lie. You know, if someone calls out on a Friday or after a long holiday weekend, I'm like, you know, what the heck, guys? Like, are you really sick? Word? Are you really sick? So that that's one area where we've used the data just in looking at absence rates and and why people are out to really help us understand if there there is absence abuse or is it just people are staying home when they're sick and they have legitimate reasons to be away from work. And what we're finding is that there, there's always one or two folks that kind of like, hey, you're taking advantage of the system. But in large part, people are just staying home when they're sick. And there isn't this, you know, intent on the employee's part to try and avoid work or just stay home for a long weekend. So that really kind of opened my eyes. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes, especially in HR. We have some folks that are like, oh, you know, you need to make sure you're we're watching out for this and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not not as bad as we thought it was. Um, so th that was really interesting. We've also seen that happen, too, with customer complaints at the school. We get a lot of teachers that may be upset or frustrated with the way their rooms are getting cleaned and being able to show those teachers the data and show them the inspections and show them potentially the before and after pictures really helps change their minds about what what the custodial staff is doing on a daily basis when they can't see them. I think that's one of the biggest pieces of frustrating feedback we get is we never see your staff. And then I'm quick to tell them, well, I don't want you to see my staff. I just want you to be able to do your job and, and be comfortable doing it. We're just here in the background trying to to make it as comfortable as possible for you. And by being able to show them that data and making those drawing those conclusions on how we arrived at a certain point has really helped change some opinions. Yeah. And I think anytime I hear the word always or never or like any of these absolutes. Yeah. Typically, that's not that to invalidate concerns, but typically that's an emotional driven response and having data behind that really helps because otherwise, I mean, nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Nobody wants the room to be dirty, but is it always uncomfortable? Is it always dirty? Did it happen like two times and now it's always? So having that data absolutely makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that we run into, you know, even as a business, and I'm curious if you ever run into this, you know, there's correlation and there's causation. So if I dig way back to my uh, college days, I remember this one example of the strong correlation between ice cream sales 
and murder. And those two things are very, very strongly correlated. But I think we all know, like if we stop selling ice cream, murders are not going to go down. In fact, maybe maybe they go up because people are more grumpy. It's really just, you know, obviously the nice weather gets people out. And when people are out, murders can happen too. Do you find your, like, do you ever find that sort of dynamic when you're looking at data that you're dealing with? Like, yes, these things are correlated. Is one causing the other? We don't run into it very often i'm trying to think of any if we have any recent examples of that i've had examples of that happen in my previous career working in renewable energy where we'd start up a new piece of equipment a wind turbine and we'd be getting a ton of fault codes on a piece of equipment that would indicate you know a certain problem with the with the turbine not being able to generate power and we'd also know that these happened in low wind conditions and there there was a correlation between hey there's there's no wind but we're getting all these you know fault codes happen what what the heck does that mean and i think a lot of people jump to the conclusions oh well it's just low wind you know the turbines not able to produce power in low wind so the two must be correlated and what it actually ended up being was there was uh trying to figure out the best way to say it but in every set point there's a a dead band where you know you can have an alarm reset or wait to trigger and what ended up happening was in these low wind conditions we they just didn't have the control set points fine-tuned enough to prevent the alarms from happening at all so there wasn't actually any problems, but it was the the set points that were in the system just being caused by these low wind conditions. So once we were able to figure that out, it was a set point thing and not like low wind is messing with the equipment per se. We made those changes and, and everything was hunky-dory. We tried to avoid that stuff. I think experience helps with that too, Brian. Like just knowing now what what actually causes what you know, using your gut. Um, well, yeah, like <laughs> that's kind of a silly one, right? The ice cream. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I know, I know like the ice cream and murder thing is an extreme example, but I think that helps too. And, you know, that's something we have to look out for too. I think with, uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, experienced folks retire and we, we do have a lot of new blood coming into the workforce in general. So being able to talk about those false conclusions, I think, helps quite a bit and like hey maybe maybe look at this other thing instead of focus on this Mm -hmm. that makes makes a ton of sense yeah i had one example that's less crazy than the ice cream and murder one but prior to fmx i was kind of in the controls space as well did a lot of energy projects and work for control systems and of course the job that's the farthest away from your house is the one that always has the most problems i think it's like murphy's law and there was one job we were working with where like every day around two o'clock, one o'clock, something like that, half the building would go offline from a controller standpoint. And we were trying to figure out why it was correlated with the time of day. We were thinking like maybe there's a rush of communication packets during that day or that time or whatever. And so we kept digging digging into that, digging into it, thinking that that correlation was causal. In reality, what it was is the communication loop that's just this two wire twisted pair. There was a one joint that wasn't secure enough. And so when the building heated up, it was just enough that that joint pulled apart and communication dropped. And then when it cooled back down, then it was fine. And talk about pulling your hair out because you're looking at all these things like, why is this going down? We checked every piece of software, every bit of code, 
and it was a simple hardware piece that we just missed. Yeah. It's always fascinating to me like to dive into those stories. And sometimes it could be really nuanced, but looking for correlation, you're doing that, right? Because you want to make a decision, but then want to make sure that decision is based on reality that you know, it's actually going to fix the problem. Yeah. Just jumping forward a little bit. I know uh, prior to, to us getting started, one of the things we wanted to jump into also was you know, we're talking about data, data, data analytics. I don't think we can have this conversation here in 2023 and not mention artificial intelligence. So, you know, what are your views on AI in general? Are you a fan? Are you concerned? Are you both? And then specifically, how do you think AI can be leveraged to enhance the impact that you're making for your district and, and the students? Yeah, I think it's an interesting topic. I see a lot of potential with artificial intelligence, um, but I also think it needs to be used in the right way. Where, you know, obviously, like, you don't want to just jump in and say, hey, the robot told me to do this. So I did it, even though I knew it was probably the wrong idea. <laughs> but where, where I see it being a huge advantage right now is on the productivity side. And I think, especially at a school district, being able to use tools like, you know, chat GPT, I probably use it on a daily basis just in my excel spreadsheet analysis you know if i don't know how to do something in excel or power bi for that matter i've got this amazing tool now and i can literally just ask it a question as if i was speaking to someone else and it will reliably give me the right formula or the right code to put in the system so it's like a on-demand you know live chat resource to to help me make my life easier and tell me how to automate those connections that i was having trouble making to to make our lives easier in the office it's not really at the point where we're using it you know to analyze systems or or, or provide technical troubleshooting out in the field i see it getting there obviously but i think that's a huge advantage right now at the school district we have i mentioned bureaucracy earlier there's a lot of need for paperwork and filling out forms and doing a bunch of busy work that quite frankly if we took the time to analyze it and evaluate the value of those processes i think we would do it differently and having a tool like chat gtp to to push us in the right direction when we don't have you know, the Excel guru sitting right across from us or whatever, I think is only going to help. And I think if people, you know, look at the tool in the right way and that it is a tool and not, you know, don't don't ask it how you should live your life or anything crazy like that, but you use it as the tool it was intended for. Um, I think we're going to find that it is really productive. I'm curious too. I mean, just specifically being in the education sector, I think it's no surprise right? the chat GPT is causing challenges on the education side of things with potential like cheating or copying or whatever. Yeah. Is there a, a negative stigma that's hard to overcome to use chat GPT and other tools like that productively? Because there's this, you know, the, obviously it's a challenge on the one end. Does that cause barriers to use it because of that? Or maybe, maybe I'm just reaching. No, I, th I think it does. My wife is a high school teacher and she she teaches business classes. And so she's been trying to figure it out as well and how to appropriately use it in the student space. And they, the students are probably the biggest adopters of it. You know, they've done everything from, you know, they're they're writing their resumes, 
by using ChatGPT. They're they're doing cover letters. They're writing book reports <laughs> with ChatGPT. So on one hand, I think it becomes like a societal question. Like on one hand, from a very business-oriented perspective, I'll tell you, I would reward someone for taking the initiative to, you know, it used to take me, you know, an hour to do this this report. Now it only takes me three seconds. We reward people for stuff like that in the business world. But do we want students to to do that when they're still learning how to do things? Uh, I think it's a larger question that we could probably spend a lot of time on. But I think from a purely business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's kind of like, oh, once you know the fundamentals, like you don't need to show your work anymore. Just go straight for the calculator. But yeah, how often do you do long division? Right, right. <laughs> I don't know that I could do it if I had to right now. When was the last time I, I actually used calculus or, or trigonometry? It's been a while. But yeah, I think I think from a teaching perspective, there's a lot more difficult questions to answer. But, you know, if, if you just need to, to pump out some paperwork and, and learn how to automate a process, it it it's an amazing thing. Yeah, I feel the same way. And this is a big challenge. I do think there's a foundational time, right, in kiddos' development where it makes sense for them to do it themselves. But when we think about it, we're obviously on the commercial side as a business, and we're looking at ways to utilize AI everywhere. And obviously, we, we don't want to lose that human touch. I think that's a fear that we have that's not unique to us. But I, I think there's a blend where the 24-7 access, something like that, is is useful, and you can still back it up by by a team. It's just that you get more out of your team than you would otherwise. Yeah. So Julius, uh, I know we're coming up a little bit closer on time here. I, I do want to uh, kind of wrap up with a question to you. Basically, if you were coaching others that maybe have a similar background to what you had or or not, you know, what, what advice would you give to others looking to enter the facilities management field and specifically K-12 education facilities management? I, I always tend to have a, a pretty funny outlook on things, but I'll try to be as serious as possible here. Um, the, so uh, just don't do it. Don't do it. It's not good advice. Don't do it. You're crazy. Don't do it. Um, yeah, my advice would be, I don't know if this was on purpose or by, by complete accident in my own career, but I had the opportunity to work for a utility, which, uh, relied on service providers and contractors and, and others to help them get their job done and provide power. Um, I've also had the opportunity to work for a service provider in the reverse role. And I would say to anybody, having those two experiences and those two perspectives has really made me the successful, if I can define my career as successful, being able to look at it from two different perspectives. Uh, I think our worlds are very different with me being an asset owner and then working with a, a service provider like yourself, it, it's very different depending on which side of the fence you're on. And I, I always try to, you know, when I can, look at it from that other side and remember, oh yeah, this is probably what they're thinking. That's really helped me over my career to be able to step back and try to see it from the other side of the fence. And and sometimes you can't do that and, and that's fine. But when you can and try to take in a more holistic picture, um, I, not just in facilities management, life in general, I think you're going to have a much more positive outcome 
that's the advice I would give anyone. And then in terms of, I guess, more specifically facilities management in my current position, I still love getting out in the field and, and learning new things. Don't get trapped in the office as hard as that is, you know, try to try to get out there. Don't be afraid to make mistakes, push some buttons, learn what things do. It really helps you make better decisions as a manager, director, supervisor. So that's huge. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Julius. And thank you for your time today. I think you know, the audience is going to love to hear this message and thank you for your time. Mm-hmm.